Okay, today we're doing Shavuot Daf Tetvav, page 15. And we're going to start on the bottom of Yudal and Amid Beit, two lines from the bottom. Um, before we just start, just, just a quick, um, you know, look at the, at the sheet. In the first part today, we're going to be throwing around three different verses. So just to be aware of them, the first one is when it talks about building the Mishkan in the Torah. And Hashem says to Moshe, Kokol ni mara utcha. Right, according to everything I show you at Tavnit HaMishkan, the structure of the Mishkan, via Tavnit Kolkelov, and the structure of all of its utensils. Oh, this is the one. Vikain Tasu, and so you shall do. Now, the, the so you shall do is superfluous, right? Obviously, Hashem is speaking to Moshe, he's telling him what to do. What's Vikain Tasu? So the Gemara in a moment will pick up on that. There's another Pasuk that actually, um, today is the first day of Hanukkah, and we actually read this in the Torah portion this morning, right? It says, because it talks about the Chanuchat HaMishkan, right? When they dedicated, they initiated the Mishkan, and it says, Vayhi biyom kawot Moshe lahakim at the Mishkan, the day that Moshe finished, right, putting, setting up the Mishkan, V'yim Shachotel, and he anointed it, he put anointing oil on it, V'yikadeh he sanctified it, V'yad kol keilav, and all of its utensils, V'yad et hamizbech, on the altar, V'yad kol keilav, and all of its utensils. And then it says, V'yimashchem, V'yimshechem, I think it is actually, and he anointed them, V'yikadeh otam, and he sanctified them. So once it says, V'yimshechem, that he anointed them, we already have the pronoun. So the word otam at the end is extra there as well. That's, it, it repeats this pronoun of otam, of them, unnecessarily. We're going to pick up on that. And finally, there's also a puzzle that says, mm-hmm. They will take the, all of the right, utensils, the service utensils. That's what they refer to, the utensils of the Beit HaMikdash. Asher yishartubam, that you use to serve with. Bakodish. So again, that's superfluous, like the double Kwe Hasharit, I show you Sharatu. So again, the Gemara is going to pick up on all of these superfluities, I think that's the word, right? Okay, so um, we're two lines from the bottom on Yodawad Ahmed Bait, and it starts at the two dots there, where's a quote from the Mishnah, right? Echad Heniknas Lazar Vakulai, etc. What on the Mishnah went on to describe the process as to which we expand the city or the Azara. Okay, and it says that you have to the city of Jerusalem or the courtyard of the Beit Hamikdash. There was basically to remind you, you need the consent of a lot of people: the Melech, the king, the Navi, the prophet, right? Basically, the Kohen Gadol through the Urim Veturim, Tumim that you would ask, right? Which was in the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, and also the Sanhedrin of seventy-one. So the Gemara wants to know Minahani Mili. From where do we derive these words that you need all these things? Amar of Shimi Barchia. So Rav Shimi, the son of Chia, said the Amar Krah, it's the Pasuk that we just said, according to everything they show you, the structure of the Mishkan and the structure of all of its utensils, and we move to Tetvav, the Kain Tasu, and so you shall do. What's the Kain Tasu? What is that adding? So the Gemara says, Lidorot. For generations, in other words, it's not just now when we initially initiate the the, the Mishkan, but it's any time you're going to extend any um, holy area and and sanctify it. You're going to go through the same process. So Rashi says, what was the process then? It was basically Moshe and Aaron. Well, Moshe had a status of a melech. The Gemara says in a number of places, even though, right, we don't call him that. He wasn't called that way in the Chumash, but he had the status of a melech. So he was like they had a king. He was also the Navi. 
usually didn't have it in the same person, but by Moshe you had it in the same person. He was the prophet. And you had Aaron HaKohen, so that's the Urim Batumim. And there was also, there was Shivim Zekanim. There were 70 elders. At that point, they weren't called in the Chumash, the Sanhedrin yet. But they were Shivim Zekanim. So we, we learn from that, from all future sanctifications of a city or of a place, you need, again, right, to, all these elements. <clears throat> so the Gemara is going to question this. It's going to question this because it sounds like everything is the same for Doro, for generations, as it was back in that initial right um, dedication of the of the Mishkan. <coughs> so the Gemara asks, but we see that's not true. Mativ Rava. Rava asks from a Brita. It says, Moshe. All of the utensils that Moshe made for the Mishkan. Now, I, I have to just tell you that once the, the kalim, the utensils of the Mishkan, were sanctified, so they then had the power that when anything was put into that kui, anything was put into that utensil, it then, then in turn became, right, Kodesh. It became sanctified as well. So, but that only happened once the kui, the utensil, was considered Kodesh, was sanctified. So how did that happen? So it says, by the time of Moshe, it was Mishichatan Mikadashtam. It was the Mishicha, it was the anointing. He had anointing oil, he sprinkled it on those utensils, and it became sanctified. Mikan Ve'elak, from then, from here onward, for generations, though, it was done differently. Avodatan Mechanachtan. It was the service that would initiate them into their sanctification. In other words, you use it once in the Mishkan, now it becomes Kodesh, it becomes holy, it can now have the ability to transfer that right, Kedusha, that, that sanctity onto anything placed into it. I just have to mention aside, I thought it very interesting the, the, the Gemara uses the word Mechanachtan and Rashi takes it upon himself here to translate the word Chinuch right, as initiation, Tchiwa Right, and it happens that's when we, we just started the holiday of Hanukkah. It's called Hanukkah because it was a reinitiation of the Mishka, of the, I should say the Beit HaMikdash, right? And um, so it happens to be like it, it, um, this, today's daf was not by accident, right? That yeah. it came out like this. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, the problem is that the Pasuk said, Vikain Tasu, you do everything for Dorit the same way you did at the time of Moshe, but we see by the Kalem, the way the Kalem got their Kedusha was different, would change. So the Gemara says, you know what, you're right. This is an exception. Shani Hatam. It's different over there. The Amarkra, for the Pasuk says, we quoted this Pasuk a moment ago, and he anointed them, Otam, and he sanctified them. Again, the, the pronoun Otam is superfluous. So it comes to be what we call a Miat, a limitation. And to tell you, Otam them, the Kalim of Moshe, the Mishicha, they were done specifically with. Right, um, anointing. But not for generations. For generations would not be done with anointing. Rather, they would done, be done in a different way, and that's what we mentioned is through Sherot, is through actually using them. Okay, so that's the answer of why Kalim are different, but the Gemara questions that. Ema, why don't you say the following? Otam, yeah, them were done at the time of the Kalim at the time of Moshe were done differently. How were the, how was that? But Mishicha, again, that was done through anointing. But with Dorot, for generations, it's Ob Mishicha, Ob Avoda. You would have a choice. You would there's two ways of sanctifying a utensil. You could do it Mishicha, but the same way that was done by Moshe, or you could do it through service. Maybe that's how the Kalim of Moshe were different. How how do we know? What what the Brita said that 
for future generations, it was specifically through avodah, specifically through service. So to that, Amr Rav Papa, Rav Papa comes along and he quotes another pasuk, Amr Kra, right? This is the pasuk we also um, stated before, Asher Yeshar to Bam Bakodesh. It refers to the Kwe Hasharet, the service utensils, as those that were, were served, used to serve in the holy place. So again, Asher Yesharto is an extra phrase because I already called them Kwe Shari. They always called them service vessels. Why do you mean that they served? So he says, Tolan HaKatuv. The Torah here is making them dependent, Bisherut, on service. So in other words, their Kedusha, their sanctity only comes through service. And that's why we know for generations it, it's not a choice of anointing or service. It's specifically service. So the Gemara, though, persists. It says, wait a minute. But now that the Torah has told us that for future generations, it has to be through Sheru, through Avodah, through the service, why do we need now the verse by Moshe's Kalim to say them to exclude future generations? We already learned the Pasuk, Asher Yeshartu, that future generation um, utensils would be different. So the Gemara says, no, no, no. Because if it didn't say otam to say that future kalim would be different than Moshe's kalim, hava amina, I would have thought to say han ihu It was only Moshe's utensils that were done through um, anointing alone, but with for generations. You know how it would be done? B'mishicha uba avoda. You would need both. You need both elements. Why? You need Meshicha because of the original Pasuk, Vikain Tasu, that future generations would be done the same way as Moshe's generation. And you need Avodah because of Ashir Yeshartu, because of the Pasuk that says that it was done through Shera, through service. Right? Oh, he says the Hakat of Vikain Tasu, right? It says Vikain Tasu, right? It should be done the same way. So on that, that's why we need the third pasuk, Miat Rahmana, the merciful one, Hashem, right, in the Torah, came to exclude future generation utensils with the word Otam, them. Otam b'mishicha, specifically Moshe's utensils were done with, through anointing. But not for future generations. Future generations were done only through Asher Yeshartu, right? So the Otam over here comes to neutralize the Vikain Tasu. The Cain Tasa would have told you that Caleb in the future were done the same way as Moshe. Otam tells you, you know, Moshe's were very unique, and future generations were done through service, as we learn now, Asher Yesharter. So you need all three verses. <clears throat> okay. The so, two, it's, it's yeah. a, it's a, so, just, just, so you don't need both. You don't do Meshicha. You do it through service. That's and right. So we kind of have three. Right. We have three things, not both. Not Mishikha, not either or, <laughs> but right. but specifically, but specifically, and that's why we need the three pesukim. That's right. That's why you need the three pesukim. Exactly. Okay. Uvishtei todo. So it says in our Mishnah that they would also part of this um, service of extending the city of Jerusalem or the Azara, seemingly, was by using two Thanksgiving offerings. Now, um, just introduction that a korban toda um, was it's called a Thanksgiving um, offering. And when it was brought, it was brought, you had a choice of bringing it from any of the animals that could be used for a carbon, a, a cattle, like a bull, for instance, or a goat or sheep. Um, you also had to bring with it 40 loaves of bread. 
right? It was a lot of bread. Um, and of these 40 loaves of bread, there were four different types of loaves. Um, 30, there were 10 of each type. Um, 30 of them were, right, matzah. Generally, right, anything we put on the Mizbeach was not chametz. It was like matzah. But the, in this case, there were 10 that were actually brought that were chametz. <coughs> the 10 that were chametz. They didn't go on the Mizbeach. They were eaten by the person who brought the karban. Okay, so we're going to be throwing around that information now in this next discussion. So um, let's continue. It says, Tana, we learned in the Brayta, Shtei todo t'sha'amru. When we spoke about the two Thanksgiving offerings that were part of this process of extending Yerushalayim, belachman, right, velo bibisaran. It was talking about the bread and not the meat. Remember, it says they carried them around. They weren't carrying the animals <laughs> or the meat of the animals. They were carrying... Wait, a loaf of bread. Actually, it was going to be two loaves of bread. We'll see is what they've carried around. One from each of the sacrifices. So the Gemara wants to know from where do we know <coughs> that this was the process? So Amr Rav Chizda. Rav Chizda said the Amr Kra. It's a verse in, in the Sefer of Nehemiah. Now Nehemiah, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> him together with Ezra, we know, led the Jewish people back from the Golat bubble, back from the Babylonian exile, when they came back to Eretz Israel and they rebuilt the second Beit HaMikdash. Um, and it describes here how they re-sanctified the city of Jerusalem. So from this story, we can now extrapolate to any future expansions, expansions of the city. So it says specifically, Amida shtei todot gedolot. Right? I gave you the whole pasuk if you want to refer to it, but um, it says that I stood up two big todot, v'tahaluchot, and I basically caused the procession to walk around William Min to the right. Rashi describes how they would always make right turns. So they were going around the, the perimeter of the city, right, counterclockwise um, direction. Me'al al-choma, and they did this right next to the wall. So it says over here he clockwise. took... Clockwise. They're making rights. Oh, clockwise. You're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's too early in the morning for me. Okay, fine. I'm reading the clock back. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, so <laughs> okay. Um, it says there were two todot gedolot, two big todot, right? So my gedolot, what does it mean there were big todot? Elema, if you're perhaps going to say, Mimin Godol Mamish. That literally it means from a big type of animal. In other words, a bull, right? I told you you could use a bull, a goat, or a sheep. The bull is the biggest one. Maybe that's what it's saying. Well, the name of Parim. That's a weird way of saying it. Just say it straight. They were bulls. Why are you saying big ones? Ella, rather, Gedolot Biminan. The Gemara suggests that it means they were big for whatever species they used. In other words, they chose, if they chose bulls, they took rather big bulls. Or they, if they took goats, a big goat or a big sheep. So the Gemara says that can't be. Mi'ika chashivuta kamei shemaya. Is there really any chashivot, any importance of how big the animal is before heaven, before Hashem? And the Gemara is going to show now that there isn't. And, and in order just to... Um, to introduce this, if you look in the second section, the first Pasuk is the Pasuk we just read from Nehemiah, I give you the whole Pasuk. But the next three Pasukam there are all from um, Parshat Vayikra, which describes the Karbanam. And I'm not going to read all three, but the, the first Pasuk, it talks about an animal offering. The second talks about a bird offering. And the third talks about a flower offering. Three different types of offering. And I 
I bolded here the words by all three of them. It says the phrase ishe, right? It's a um, it's a fire offering. Reach nichoach, right? Hashem. It gives a pleasing aroma to Hashem, meaning whatever carbon you bring, right? Hashem is pleased with it. So that's what the Gemara now is going to point out. So in, in the text it says vahatanya, which always introduced the brighter on the side. He makes a textual emendation here to um, change it to vahatanan because Hatanan introduces a Mishnah. This is actually a Mishnah in Menachot. And it says as follows, Nemar bi olat behema. It says by the carbon ola, the elevation offering, which is completely burned on the Mizbeach. So it says by a, a carbon that's brought from an animal, Isha reach nucholach. Right? It's, it gives a pleasing aroma to <clears throat> Hashem. Bi olat oaf, when it comes to a bird carbon ola, right, a bird elevation offering, Again, it says that it gives a pleasing aroma to Hashem. And B'mincha, for a flower offering, once again, it gives a pleasing aroma. So you would think that Hashem would be more and be more pleased with the animal. A person had to sacrifice more to buy an animal than for bringing a flower offering. So this teaches us, the Mishnah tells us, a beautiful idea, whether you give a lot or whether you give a little bit, as long as your heart, right, is directed towards your Father in heaven. Right, as long as you have the right intentions, you're sincere, right, Hashem is happy, no matter, right, this is all you could afford, He's happy with that, etc. So if that's the case, so it would be, it wouldn't seem to be logical that Nehemiah was describing, right, oh, we brought big animals for the carbon, like, Right, big doesn't mean anything before Hashem's eyes, and therefore he wouldn't have been stressing that. And therefore, it must be when he said that there were big todo, he must have meant something else. So we, it can't mean bulls because it would have said bulls. It can't mean a big sheep or a big goat or a big bull because that doesn't have any chashivut. That doesn't have any importance. So when we were taught as kids to daven better a little bit with kavana than a lot without. It seems like this would be the source. That's right. That's right. Kavana is yeah. the most important yeah. thing. Exactly. It's like, and you know, it's even brought down as a. Um, this is um, the Shulchan Arach says by Tefillah that it's better to say less with Kavana than more without Kavana, right? One hundred percent. Okay, so Ella. So rather, what does it mean that the big part of the carbon toda? It says Gedola Shebetoda. It means, I, I kind of gave it away, the biggest part of the carbon toda, who what is that? Chametz. It's the loaves of chametz. How is that? So, tomorrow's going to bring a Mishnah, but if you just refer to this next um, section here on the sheet for a moment, the, the Gemara is going to state all of this, but I figure maybe if we see it like this, it's a little easier to process. <coughs> um, it, it tells us that the carbon toda, the um, the breads had to be made with a large amount of flour, okay? And what was that um, measurement? Five saw. A saw is a volume measurement, okay? So five saw, and it calls it Jerusalem measurements, and the Gemara goes on to say, which equals six saw of Midbariot, of wilderness um, saw. What is that referring to? So apparently when the Jews were in the desert, they had a measure of what a saw is. When they moved to Eretz Israel and they were in Yerushalayim, for whatever reason, they changed the measures. 
And they changed it, so now the saw was actually more than it was before. So what was the, f- the amount of flour which equaled six saw now equaled five saw. Yeah. Okay. So how do you, what's the difference between a British gallon right. and an American, and American gallon? gallon? Right, right. There's different measurements, yeah. But they're both called gallons. Yeah, they're both called gallons, and it can be confusing if you don't know. <laughs> so, and then it, um, it goes on to say this is equal to two afo. That afa is something mentioned, is a measurement mentioned in the Torah itself. And the Mishnah tells us, well, obviously, then, because one afa equals three, wilderness son. And that's why two equals six. And finally, it goes on to tell us which equals the two afo. Each afo equals ten isaron. So it's twenty isaron. These are all measurements. And then from those twenty isaron, right, we learn from Pesukim that you're supposed to split that in half. And ten of it goes to the, um, to the, to the um, bread that were made chametz. And ten goes to those that were made from matzah. Now, as I told you, there were 30 loaves made from matzah. They were known as chalot, rikikin, and revucha. They were made differently. I described how they're made. The chalot were normally baked, like baked with oil. The rikikin, they weren't baked with oil, but the oil was applied after baking. So again, we're going to talk about oil here on Hanukkah. Okay? And the revucha was um, made with a great deal of oil. It was double the oil as of the chalot, and it was scalded. Before, right? This is Sufkaniot here. It's like, it was yeah, like the, uh, right? <laughs> There's donuts. They would scald it before they baked it in, in hot water. But the point here is, is that 10 isaron of flour were used to make these 30 um, loaves. And then another 10 were, were used to make the 10 chametz um, loaves, which means that the chametz loaves were obviously bigger than the matzah loaves. They were three times the size of the matzah loaves, generally. So that's why it's, that must be what Nehemiah was referring to when he said the big, the big total, it meant the big part of the total, the chametz loaves. And we're going to now see that inside now, Ditnan, as we learned also in a Mishnah over there in Menacho. It says, Hatoda hayataba min chamesh sign Yerushalmiot. Right? The toda, the loaves of the toda, of the, of the Thanksgiving offering, came from five saw, five Jerusalem saw. Shehain, which was equal to Sheish Midbar, six um, wilderness saw. Shehain Shteof Eifot, which is equal to two Eifot. Vi Eifa Shoasan, because each Eifa was three, and therefore two equals six on. And that in turn equaled Esrem Isarn, 20 Isarn, and Asara Lachamez for Asara Lamatza. And 10 went for the 10 loaves of chametz, and ten went for the matzah, over matzah, shlosha minam. There were three different types, chalot, rikikin, revucha, as we described what they were, chalot, again, baked with oil, rikikin, they were baked without oil, but the oil was added afterwards, and revucha, a lot of oil, and it was scalded before baking. But be as it may, it comes out that the matzah rolls were small, and the loaves of chametz were big, and so it was the two loaves of chametz that Nechami used in the sanctification of Yishalayim, and that's what the our Mishnah was referring to. Now, when you read our Mishnah, you would c- come to the conclusion that that's the way they added on to Jerusalem, and that's also the way they added on to the Azara as well, when they wanted to extend the courtyard of, of the Beit HaMikdash. So the Gemara comes now to tell us that's not exactly correct. Amar Rami Barhama. Rami Barhama stated, Ein Hazara mitkadeshes elo bishiyari mincha. When it came to the extension of the courtyard, it wasn't done through the loaves of the Thanksgiving offering, but rather is done from the remnants of a carbon mincha, of a flower offering. So just to understand what a flower offering is, 
right? It's a bunch of flour, obviously. And then what the Kohen would do, he would do what's called a kamitsa. He would take, kamitsa was, he would take three fingers, his three middle fingers, and he would dip it into the um, flour, and he'd pick up whatever. I have a very small hand, so I, I wouldn't make a good Kohen. I wouldn't be taking a lot of um, flour. And then he would place it on the Mizbech, it would be burnt on the Mizbech. The rest of the sacrifice, the, the flour, was called shiari mincha, the remainder of the flour offering, and it was eaten by the kohanim. They would, they would bake it, would cook with it, whatever they would do with it. But it was eaten by the kohanim. <coughs> so Rami Barcham is saying <coughs> that when they wanted to extend the courtyard of, of the Beit HaMikdash, instead of carrying around the loaves of the Thanksgiving offering, they would carry around the remnants of a flour offering. My time... Why, why do we use the remnants of a mincha? So he says, Ki Yerushalayim. It was done similar to the way Yerushalayim was extended. How is that? My Yerushalayim. Just like Yerushalayim. Dover hanachal ba mikadsha. You use something that was eaten in Yerushalayim to sanctify it. Carbon toda, being from the category of kadashim kalam, of karbano, can be eaten anywhere in the confines of Jerusalem. So it made sense to use that to sanctify the city. So af azara, so too the courtyard of the Beit Hamikdash davar hanachal ba mikadsha. You would use something that was eaten in it to sanctify it. And the carbon mincha being from kadshe kadashim, they it had to be eaten within the confines of the Beit Hamikdash itself. So that's why it makes sense to use this to extend the area of the azara. But the Gemara is bothered by the language that we just used. The, the concept, they're not bothered by, but the, I, the language. Because the language, it said that the carbon toda was something that was eaten in Yushalayim, as opposed to the mincha was eaten in the Azara. But it, it, it seems to infer that the toda could not be eaten in the Azara. And the Gemara asks, that's not true, atu is it, but lachme toda bazara milo mitachme? Could the breads of the Thanksgiving offering not be consumed in the Azara? And they had to be eaten anywhere within Yerushalayim, including the Azara. So the Gemara is bothered by the language we just used, and therefore it restates it. It says, Ella, rather, Ki Yerushalayim. We do the Azara the same way we do Yerushalayim. Ma Yerushalayim, just like Yerushalayim. Dover Hanech Ba. Something that's eaten, that's eaten in Yerushalayim we use. V'yodse Mimena. And if you would take it out of there... Nifsal would become disqualified, right? Like I said, the Torah has to be consumed within Yishalayim. It can't even brought, be brought outside of Yishalayim. Otherwise, it's disqualified. Af Azara, so too, the courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash, Dover Hanech use something that has to be within it. Vahayotzi Mimena, and if it's brought out of the Azara, Nifsal becomes disqualified, and that is the remnant of the flower offering. So the Gemara says, okay, great. We've now compared the Azara to Yerushalayim. The same process is used to extend Yerushalayim as it used to extend the Azara. But the Gemara asks, Imala Halan, right? If, right, you're going to compare it to Yerushalayim, by Yerushalayim, Chametz, as we said a few lines ago, you use something that was Chametz, right? The, the loaves that were of the Toda that were Chametz. Avkan Chametz. So too, we should use a carbon mincha that was Chametz. Now, you know, you're probably familiar with the fact that the Torah says we don't put chametz, and that's supposed to be chametz on the Mizbeach. So how do you have a mincha that was chametz? And the government's going to question this right away. I'm going to mention to you that there were actually two korban menachot that, um, 
No, there was only one, I think just one carbon mincha that um, was made from chametz, and now we're going to talk about it. It was on Shavuot. On the holiday of Shavuot, <coughs> they would bring something called the Shtei Todo. I'm saying Shtei, um, Shtei, Shtei the two loaves that were brought on Shavuot, and that was made from chametz. But other than that, they weren't made from chametz. So the Gemara asked right away, but Tizbra, does this make sense to you, this comparison? Minchat chametz mi'ika. Is it really a korban mincha brachal chametz? And it was removed to Ahmed Bey, it says, v'ki tema. And if you're going to say, maybe you could do the following. You know, what's the problem with the chametz? It's putting it on to the mizbeach. So if you already made the mincha into chametz before the kohen did the kamitza, before taking off the flour that he burned them his back, it would be a problem. But perhaps what we could do is the machmitz lahu with shirayim, that we could make it chametz on after the coin already removed the kamitza when it's already remnants. In other words, at that point, add yeast to it or something and make a chametz. And now we could use this, and could use this to sanctify the azara. So he says that can't work. Why? Because of a hakitiv. There's a pasuk that says not like this. Now, I, and before we look at this pasuk in the Gemara, I want to show it to you outside so you appreciate what the Gemara is doing here. If you look at the fourth section, right? This is a pasuk in Parshat Sav, and it says like this: Lo te'afa chametz. You shouldn't bake it chametz. Then it says chelcham. Their portion is referring to the portion of the kohanim. Natati hotel. I have given to them mi'ishai from my fire offerings. So the way you read this in the Torah, the words chametz and chalkam are from separate phrases. They don't go together. Mm-hmm. What the Gemara is going to do, though, and Chazal often do this, is that they put it together. Even though it's not the simple reading of the Pasuk, but for purposes of expounding halachot from it, right? there was a reason they saw that Hashem juxtaposed these two words, and therefore we're going to derive a lesson from that. So that's what the Gemara says. So the Gemara was again suggesting, make it chametz, right, after the Kohen already removed the, the chametz, when it's only, going, it's only going to be eaten by the Kohanim, it's not going on the Mizbek anymore. And to that, the Gemara says in the second line, Vakitib, but the Pasuk says, Lo te'afa chametz chelkam. You can't bake into chametz. What? Their portion, meaning, says that teaches you, even the portion that's just going to the Kohanim, not going on the Mizbeach, not going on the altar, you should not bake into chametz. So, so therefore, the Gemara concludes, <clears throat> it seems like we cannot use chametz um, for the extension of the courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash. But the Gemara persists. It says, Why not? F, sure, it's possible. This is what I mentioned before. Let's use the, <clears throat> the two loaves of bread that were brought as special korbano on Atzeret. On Atzeret refers to the holiday of Shavuot. Chazal always referred to it as Atzeret. So we have Shmini Atzeret, you know, at the end of Sugo, right? It, Atzeret means like the, the stop. It's like the end of the holiday season. Right, we have Shavuot sort of is the Atzeret for Pesach, right? We have Sriyat Omer, which connects the two. So they saw Shavuot as being also a type of Atzeret. So anyway, so let's use that. So the Gemara says, Mishum de after because it's going to be impossible to work out the case. And the Gemara is going to explain. And what, what the Gemara is going to do now is going to attempt, it's going to have five different attempts of how we can work this out, that we could use the Shtei Lacham from Shavuot to sanctify the Azara. And by each one of these five cases, the Gemara is going to reject for a different reason. 
Okay, so it says hechi na'avet. How should we do it? For, so it says nivnenye. Let's build it. Build the azara, whatever you built. Me'etmo from yesterday. Seemingly, you don't want to build it on Yom Tov, right? So you're going to finish building it on Erev Yom Tov, Erev Shavuot. V'nekad she'me'etmo, and we'll sanctify it also, Erev Yom Tov. So the Gemara says, no, that can't work. And the reason it doesn't work, the Gemara is going to say, but I, I, in introduction to this, for this line, to understand it, if you go back, what we just said a few lines ago on the, on the bottom of Amid Aleph, we said that we use something specifically that if it's brought out to brought out of that place, it will become nifsal, become disqualified. Okay, so he says like this: that's not going to be true on the day before Yom Tov. Why? Because he says, um, the two loaves of bread of Shvuot bishchitat kavasim They only become sanctified themselves through the slaughtering of the two sheep that are brought as part of the musaf offerings on the Shavuot, and therefore, actually they're not part of the Musaf, they were just special for Shavuot, these two kavasim, these two sheep, and the um, Shavuot can become um, sanctified at that point, which means that on Erev Yom Tif, if they're brought outside of the Azara, they do not become disqualified, and therefore they can't be used to sanctify the Azara. So that's not going to work. That was attempt number one. Attempt number two. Nivniye me'etma. Okay, build the azara, whatever, yesterday, meaning Erev Yom Tov. And then sanctify today after you've slaughtered the sheep and the breads have received their kedusha. Let's do it that way. So the Gemara says it can't be because be'inin we need kedush b'shat habinyan. Right? You need to sanctify right when you conclude the building. And here they've concluded the building on error of Yom Tif. They can't do the sanctification on Yom Tif itself. So they reject that as well. Third attempt. Nivniye b'yom Tif. Why don't we build it on Yom Tif itself? V'nikadshe b'yom Tif. And sanctify it in Yom Tif. Okay, that should work. You have the same day, and the, and the um, breads are already sanctified. So Gemara says, maybe something that seems obvious, ain binyan mikdash, no, the building of the Beit HaMikdash, as important as that might be, it does not push off the holiday of Yom Tov. One of the malachot you can't do is binyan, is bonad, right? You can't build. Okay, so the Gemara tries attempt number four. Okay, how about this? Nishpacha, let's weave the bread over, right? Lobater hachi, for afterwards, v'nivniye, and build it, right? V'nikadshe, and then sanctify. In other words, wait till the day after Yom Tov, Okay, weave the breads over, they're already sanctified, and now finish building it the day after Yom Tov and sanctify it then. You're shaking your head, you know it's not going to work because the Gemara says, if way Bolina, because the breads become um, disqualified by Lina. Lina is staying overnight. Right? The halacha is, is that the bread has to be eaten by midnight, by chatzot that night. But so, there's also another problem. You, yeah. You've got an ill defined boundary to your. Mikdash at that point because <laughs> you haven't finished building right so where where are you doing now and you've not defined the boundary yeah so so, so what he's suggesting here is finish building it on Mitzoyi Yom Tov on, on the next day the day after Yom Tov Isra right um, 
Yeah, so, I mean, you still have the original, I guess they knew where the original boundary was, and they were using that. It was still demarcated in some way, even though, you're right, it might be, <laughs> I don't know what it looks like, to be honest. Yeah, you're I the mean, engineer, you can figure it out. But, like, um, the... Um, you have to have an inner wall that's complete, say, right. and then you have an outer wall that you've purposely left incomplete, right. so that when you do all the service, you're in the inner wall, but now right. when you complete the outer wall, you've now got an unnecessary inner wall, I guess, well, later you're gonna you have can to, remove it. They're going to have to remove it. That's what's yeah, going to happen. That's apparently what they would do. Yeah. They would remove, I, again, I, I don't think this was something that was done very often, if at all. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's what they have to do. But the inner wall was, was, was certainly still there, so it was still demarcated, the original markings, yeah. but... Okay, so then the Gemara suggests one more time. Nivnie mimale yoma. Okay, I tell you what. Basically, build it erev yomtov. However, nishayar be porta. We've just a little bit, so it's not a lot of work to do. The ad the kaddish yoma. That's a funny expression. It means literally that means until the day becomes sanctified, which would sound like until it becomes yomtov. But actually, what it means here until the day of that the holy day goes by until Yom Tov is over, and then we alter immediately, meaning at the night after, you know, Shavuot ends, right? Yom Tov ends at nightfall. Then Nigmare finished the building. You only had a little to do. And then you can sanctify. Because at that point, the loaves of bread are still kosher, right? They're kosher until Chatzot, until midnight. <clears throat> so the Gemara says that also doesn't work. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ain binyan beta mikdash There is a rule that you don't build the beta mikdash at night. It's only built during the day. The Amr Abaye for Abaye said minayin. From where do we know she'ain binyan beta mikdash Where do we derive these words? You can't build it at night. Shenamar is a pasuk that says uviyom hekim et hamat mishkan on the day that. Um, Right, that Moshe set up the Mishkan. I think this, we read this again today in Hanukkah. Okay, Biyom Makimo. During the day, right, it says in the day in the Pasuk, and the, during the day you could set it up. But at night you cannot set it up. So we tried five different ways to try to work this out. None of them work. Hilchak, therefore, the Gemara concludes, Lo Afshar, it's impossible to use Hametz, and that's why we use the Shari Mincha for the extension of the Azara, which was made from matzah, non-chametz. Um, there were two rules here about we can't build um, the Beit HaMikdash on Yom Tif and you can't build it at night. There's an interesting Tosvot here in the, based on the Gemara in Sukkah that says that by the third Beit HaMikdash, right, that will be possible. They will be able to build it even on a Yom Tif and even at night. And he says, why? Okay, this is a point that is, excuse me, that, that is disputed, and that is that, the, that, that there's a tradition that the third Beit HaMikdash will come straight from Shemayim, will come down. So it could happen even at night, it can happen even on a Yom Tov. Okay, so um, just watch out for that building flying down. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to the, um, you know, the mosque over there. because they Shemayim, the other one's Bidei Adam. That's right, there you go. Right. Exactly, right? These laws were only given for B'nai right. Adam, exactly. Right? Hashem doesn't, uh, he can do what he wants, right? Um, okay. Um, now that, you, again, Yerushalayim is the capital, it can happen any moment, right? So, it's Hashem. Okay. Uvashir. So it says in the Mishnah, it says in the Mishnah, to also sing a song. What is this song? So 
a ton of rabbanim. We don't. We didn't have the resolution for. What no, to do. The resolution was is that we cannot use chametz. Like the Gemara had asked the question. Why don't you use chametz? Like <coughs> why don't you use the chametz like Yerushalayim? Because it's completely can't. parallel. Right. We can't make it. So since in this case it's EF sharp, we, we it's not going so, to correspond so, exactly. So, yeah. Okay. Over Shir. So the Mishnah again said you, it was a song. What was the song? Tana Rabbanan. It was taught by the rabbis in a Braita. Shir Shotoda. It means the, the song of the Thanksgiving offering. What does that refer to? So every morning, well, every weekday morning, in our Pesuki de Zimra, we say this little paragraph, Mizmor Toda. It's chapter 100 of Tehillim. That's what they would say. That's what it means. And it goes on to say, It was accompanied by these musical instruments, harps, lyres, um, cymbals, okay? And where were they? I'll call Pina, Upina, I'll call Evan, Gedoah, Shabbi Yushalayim. On every corner, and by every big stone in Yushalayim, there were musical instruments, it was a big party. Okay? Besides that, the Omer, they would also say, the Pasuk, or actually they would say the entire chapter 30 of Tehillim, which is, contains this Pasuk, Aromimcha Hashem, I will exalt Hashem, Ki Dilitani V'Gomer, because He drew me up. That's in chapter 30, because chapter 30 begins with the words, Mizmur Shir, it's a song, Chanuchat Habayit, right, of the initiation of the Beit HaMikdash. We say it also every morning at the beginning of Pesukah Simra. In fact, in Chanukah, we add it again at the end to the Shir Shoyom, right, because we're talking about, the, right, again, the um, Chanucha, right, the um, <coughs> rededication of the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, and then they sing a third Tehillim as well. What is this? Vishir Shel Pigayim. <laughs> the song of encounters, literally. What does that mean, though? The encountering of what? So Rashi explains harmful spirits, mazikim. Okay, so I'll just a disclaimer, I'm not an expert on mazikim. Okay, <laughs> and that's something we don't really understand <clears throat> so rationally. But the Gemara talks about them very often, about these spiritual um, beings that cause harm right, to others. This famous statement of the Rambam where he says that no such thing exists, even though the Gemara does mention it. A lot. The Rambam was the um, right. He was very rational, and um, he said this isn't a rational belief. Um, so, so the, there is a whole um, you know study of like what the, what does the Rambam do with all these gemarot? So I, I heard one modern day example, one modern day commentary say suggest that what he would say are mazikim are what we call viruses, mm-hmm. right? These these little things that you can't see, right? I mean, you, like Dr. Rivera could tell us about them, right? But they, they, you can see microscopically, right? But they, um, you can't see with naked eye, and they, they attack the body, and they, they're harmful spirits, basically. So perhaps, I don't know. Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> physical harm, sure. Yeah. But I don't know if yeah. they're talking physical it harm. It seems yet. like they're talking spiritual right. harm. It does seem that way, yeah. Um, so he says, Riyesh Omrim, there are those who say that this chapter to Hillam, by the way, I didn't tell you, but it's chapter 91, the, the chapter that begins with the words, Yosheh B'Seter El Yon. We actually say it every Shabbat and Yom Tov as part of the Pesukah de Zimra. And we're going to quote some verses from it in a moment. But Yesh Omrim, there are those who say it's called Shir Shel Negayim. It's no, not the song of the harmful encounters with harmful spirits, but the, the song of plagues. And it would seem like the difference actually is that the first one looks at a spiritual harm, and the, the second one is physical harm. And he goes on to explain, Man the Amr, the one who says, the Nagayim, that it's called the Song of Plagues, Dictive, because it's stated explicitly, Venego lo yikra ba'oholacha. A nega, right, a, um, a plague should not approach you in your tents. 
Right? That's part of the, the psukim. Uman the Amar Pagayim, and the one who says, now it's called the Song of Encounters about the harmful spirits, because it says there, Yipol Mitzidcha Elef. They will fall from your side a thousand. What's that referring to? Meaning a thousand of these mazikim, right? You'll be, right? Hashem is going to, to um, protect us from these. The Omer and a further, and, and oh no. Now the Omer, so what do we say specifically of this? We start from the beginning of the chapter. Yoshei Beseter Oyon, Betzel Shakai Yitmonan. Which means that Hashem dwells in the, um, in a refuge of high. Betzel Shakai, in the shade of Hashem, we will dwell, right? Odd, and we say, that's the first pasuk of the chapter, and we say it odd until I think it's the ninth um, verse, um, which says, Ki Hashem machsi elyon samtamonecha. You, Hashem, are my refuge, and um, you placed your abode, you placed your dwelling place up high. So we say that chapter as well. I'm going to come back and explain in a moment, like, what, what does this have to do with the extension of, you know, the Azara of Yushalayim, right? V'choser, and then you continue, the Omer, and you say a fourth chapter to him. This is chapter three, okay, towards the beginning, which says, Mizmor David, a song of David, Babarchu Mifnei Avshalom. But no, he sang this when he ran away from his son, Avshalom. Avshalom, of course, rebelled against David. He tried to kill him. David had to run away, and he, he, he composed this chapter to him, right? He, and he says, Hashem, Marabu Tsari. How great, how many are, are my oppressors. And you say that all the way on until, which is the end of the chapter, Hashem HaYeshua, to Hashem is the salvation, on your nation is your blessing, Selah. Um, so there's four chapters that Tehillim said in the process. So the first two we understand. The first one is Mizmar Matoda, right? Thanksgiving, we're thanking Hashem, right? For, you know, we're actually have the Thanksgiving offerings, but we're also thinking Hashem, we're getting a bigger Jerusalem, bigger um, Beit HaMikdash. The second one, <clears throat> we understand also, it's about the Chanukha Tabayat, it describes, right, initiating right, the Beit HaMikdash. But the last two, which talk about Hashem protecting us from oppressors or from harm, what does that have to do with anything? So Rashi over here and Tosa both say that when they built the second Beit HaMikdash, you know, it wasn't exactly like a miraculous occasion, right? The Jews came back, they were impoverished. Not all the Jews came back. There were a lot of enemies around, and as we were building, right, Nehemiah describes that they were attacked a number of times, right? It wasn't, it wasn't an easy process. So <clears throat> they said at that time in history, when they were rebuilding the second Beit HaMikdash, they added these two um, um, chapters of Tehillim as a prayer to Hashem that he should protect us from <clears throat> You know, our enemies. And, but the, the Brita places it in as part of now the service. So why is that? So I'll, I'll tell you my secret here. My secret is um, I looked in the Art Scroll um, Gemara, and the, whoever was the author of the Art Scroll suggested the following. And it's really a beautiful idea, is that it's true that the Jews first placed it into this service at that time because of the unique circumstances of the time. But once they put it in, it stuck. And, and like this is this is so Jewish, right? Because we do this all the time, right? You know, we say Haftorah on Shabbat. Why? Because there was a time when we couldn't read the parsha because there was a decree against us. We couldn't learn Torah, so but we were allowed to read from the Navi. So we chose a portion of the Navi that connected in some way to that week's parsha. So we should remember it. And then when the when the decree against learning Torah went off, we said, "Oh, this is such a beautiful thing." You know, Chazaka. we read the Navi, right? Chazaka, right? We keep it in. 
You know, in, on, on Shabbat and Yom Tov in Musaf, in the Kedusha, we say this line, Shema Yisrael, Shema okay, what, what is it doing there? Shema over there. So because there was a time we couldn't, they wouldn't let us say that, right? So we snuck it in by Kedusha and Musaf. They weren't, the guards weren't there already, right? But once it got in there, it stuck. That's why we're here forever on Shabbat morning. <laughs> it's like, we, just, we took everything from our history and we, we stick with it. But that's what happened here as well. Okay. Um, the two dots. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Amr. He says, a, a, um, this is a fascinating thing. Again, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Amr, Lahani Kra. He would say these sukkah. Specifically, <clears throat> it refers to the last two chapters, 91 and 3, which talk about Hashem protecting us from our enemies and from plagues and harmful spirits. Vigani, and then he would go to sleep. In other words, he was afraid when he go to sleep, right? That he wanted protection, so he'd say this. So if you look in as the Sidor, by Kriyat Shema Amita, right? You're supposed to say Shema before you go to sleep. So I personally don't say all this, but after the Shema, it's written in the Sidor, these two chapters of Tehillim to say, 91 and 3. I know, I, I can barely make it through Shema, I'm like falling asleep. I don't know how you can say more at that point. But anyway, that's what um, Rabbi Yeshua and Levi would do. But the Gemara question says, Hechi Ovid Hachi, how could he do this? This might be familiar to you from the end of Sanhedrin. Okay, Vahamar Rabbi Yeshua and Levi, Rabbi Yeshua and Levi over there, the very same Rabbi Yeshua and Levi said, Asar Lehit Rapot Bedivrei Torah. It is forbidden to use Torah as a curative a fashion. You can't use Pesukim Torah like in a way, like incantations, like to, for refor, for healing purposes. So how was he able to do this for, you know, for protection? So the Gemara says, no, there's a you different... You can use it to ward off the Malcham of us. Oh, right. So that, that, that's going to fit into the answer of the Gemara. Good. So the Gemara says, Lahagin Shani. This is different to protect. In other words, once a person has Right, a sickness, an illness, or something wrong, they can't use Torah to heal themselves. But as beforehand, to ward off any evil, they, they can use it. <coughs> Excuse me, the Rambam explains very nicely. The Rambam says that Torah was meant as a refuah, it was meant as a cure to the nefesh, to the soul. Okay? So if we use it as a refuah to the goof, to the body, that's like a perversion of Torah. That's not what it's meant for. That's why you shouldn't use it for curing. However, he says to say it, and then the learning of the Torah, this, or the reciting of the Torah, is a zechut, is a merit to protect you. That's something else. That's something else, right? As a merit to protect you from becoming ill, becoming harmed in some way. That's okay. But once you can't use it, right? You never, you never said pesukim over a sick patient, did you? Okay, <laughs> you have. Okay, fine. <laughs> in prayer, maybe. Okay, fine. Uh, so, so anyway. The Gemara then questions this, though. It says, so we said this, we made this distinction between curing and protecting. So it says, well, Eloki Amr, Aser. So then when he said it was forbidden, is the Ikamaka, there already is, literally that means a wound, but it can mean an illness as well. Well, So he says, well, eat the Ikamaka, if there's already a wound there, Asor, Vitu, Lo, it's only Asor and not more than that. But you might remember this statement from Sanhedrin, Vatanam, we learned in a mission over there, Halochesh al Hamaka. If one whispers over a wound, Psukim, Ein Lochelak Olam Haba. They lose their portion in the world to come. That's pretty serious. So why would Rabbi Yeshub and Levi merely say, it is Asor, it's forbidden, it's much more than forbidden? So the Gemara answers, no. Ha'itmar Allah, again, this is from Sanhedrin. It was stated over there. Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan qualified this statement by saying, Barokek Shanu. It was only taught when the person also spat, right? He, right? he spat on the, on the um, wound and he said these pesukim, something, 
you know, EBGBS here, superstitious. Because it's disrespectful to mention the name of God, the Pesukim of the, of the Torah, right, when you're spitting. Okay, so there's basically three levels, right? right? To use it to protect yourself when you're healthy, that's fine. That's uh, Rabbi Shubin Levi actually did it, and that's what we do with it. What many do, I don't do it, but we go to sleep at night. Okay, and then to use it to heal yourself, that's a sword that's forbidden. And to use it and to spit at the same time, right, that already is so disrespectful, one loses the portion of the world to come. Okay, the two dots, we continue with the um, process of expanding Jerusalem and the Azara. It says, Beit din mahalchen, Beit din would walk around the perimeter of the new area. Fishtei todot achreim. And the two um, Thanksgiving offerings, we know now that means the loaves of the Thanksgiving offerings would be after them. So the Gemara says, remember, are you telling me the Beit din kamei toda azlai? The Beit din actually walks in front of the Korban toda? Um, but wait a minute, if you look in Nehemiah, going back to that story, when he sanctified Jerusalem, it says, they went after the Thanksgiving offerings, who did Hoshaya, and half of the lords of Judah, which presumably were refers to Sanhedrin. So we see there they, they walked after the Torah. Our Mishnah seems to say they walked in front of the Torah. So the Gemara says, no, no, that's what our Mishnah means as well. But Hachi Kamar, this is how you have to read it. Beitin Mahalkin, Beitin would walk, Vishtei Torah Mahalko, and also the two um, Thanksgiving offerings were being walked, right? Ubeitin Achreham. And Beitin was walking after us. When it says Achreham, it's going back on, right? Beitin walking after the Korban Torah. Uh, difficult um, fit for the words of the Mishnah, but that's how they interpret it. Okay, Kate said Mahalchan, how would they walk? So Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Shimon Barebi, Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, had a dispute as to how it was done. Chad Amr, one of these two, apparently we didn't know who said what, but one of them said Zu Keneged Zu. The two people that were holding the loaves of the Thanksgiving offering would be next to each other. It was one in front of the other. So the Gemara now wants to work this out according to, the, according to both opinions, according the, the, to the words of our Mishnah. The Mishnah had said the inner one could be eaten, but the outer one, the outer wealth, had to be burned. Okay, so what's inner and what's, what's outer according to these two opinions? So the Gemara says like this, the one who said that they were next to each other, that's easy. The inner one is the one that was closer to the wall, right? So that's, that makes sense. He's the inner one. What about the one who said they walked one in front of the other? The inner one is the one's closer to the Beit, and the Beit were walking behind, so it was the one that was further behind. Okay. But the Gemara now quotes from her Mishnah again. It says, Tanan, we learned there in our Mishnah, the inner one could be eaten, but the outer one had to be burned. Now, the Gemara presumes at this point, why, why would there be a difference between the inner one and the outer one? So it must be, this is the presumption of the Gemara at this point, the inner one, you know why it could be eaten? Because it, wherever it went, wherever it, it walked, it was already... Um, sanctified as part of Yushalayim, and therefore the other one is, is pasul. The other one's pasul because it went outside of Yushalayim. That's what the Gemara understands at this point. But so the Gemara therefore says, "Bishlomo, this is all good and fine." Laman de Amr, according to one who said, "Zu acher zu," it was one after the other. 
because of that, the inner one, which was behind, could be eaten. Because the outer one walked before it. When the outer one walked in the area, it sanctified it. So when the inner one came, it was walking in sanctified area. But the outer one was going where it wasn't holy yet. And therefore the outer one had to be burned. But But according to the one who says they walk next to each other, the two of them sanctified the area simultaneously. And therefore, <coughs> why would one be eaten and one be unburned? So the Gemara turns around and says, no, nah, nah, you think you have this uh, uh, worked out? You're incorrect. He says, according to your reasoning, even according to you, you think it works according to the one who says they were one in front of the other? Even according to that opinion, it says they walk one in front of the other, right? Is it really true that the first one would sanctify the area, and therefore when the second one came, it was walking in sanctified ground? Remember in our mission it said, if any addition to the city that was not done with all of these things, all of them, the Sanhedrin, the Melech, the Navi, the Urmatum, and two Korbin Todal, is not sanctified. And therefore, just because the first carbon toda right processed through that area doesn't mean that this that it's now holy. And therefore both of them should be burned. Mm-hmm. And he says, Afiafilo even, Lamandiam according to the opinion which we will learn tomorrow, all right, be achat that somehow interprets the Mishnah as saying you really don't need all of these things. You just need one element, the king, the Navi, the Kohingado, the Sanhedrin, or the Todo. But even according to him, that says one thing, Hani Torvayu Chad Mitzvah. The two Toda are considered one element together. One by itself would not be enough to sanctify. So therefore the Gemara says, okay, we have to come up with a new explanation as to why the inner one was eaten and the outer one was burned, and it's going to be a very unsatisfying answer. Sorry. El Amr Rabbi Yochanan, rather Rabbi Yochanan says, move on to Tetzayin, Alpi Navi Nechawat, Alpi Navi Nisrefer. This was all done based on the command of the Navi. Rashi explains there were three Navi in present when they re-sanctified Jerusalem in the beginning of the second temple, Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the three, last three of the prophets that we know of, and they commanded the Jews at that time that the inner one should be eaten, the outer one should be burned, and Rashi says, V'ein tam ladavar. There's no reason for the matter. Okay. Now, I, I don't think what Rashi really means is that there really was no reason, which is arbitrary. That, that I, I find it hard to believe. I think what Rashi means is we don't, we're not aware of the reason. Obviously, the Nevi'im had a reason for saying what they did, but we don't know. So we'll have to wait until Mashiach comes. There is one thing that's perhaps appealing 